Welcome to another episode of The Jim Roman Show, where we talk about building a better business so you can live a better life. We are so excited about our panel today on our podcast. We have special guests here today to help talk about inflation. Uh, how this came about was talking to one of our panelists, and I said, you know, what is inflation, and how does that affect micro-businesses, million-dollar businesses, and the people that work for them? And I said, this would be a great podcast, because you've listened to the headlines. You just don't know which one. The interest rates are going up. What does that mean? And, and debt's going up. What, do, what does that mean? And so I pulled a group of people that I respect and really care for uh, that I think have so much value to add. And I would love for you guys to just introduce yourself before we jump into our questions today. So I will start with Brian at the very end. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. My name is Brian Lucas, and my wife Jessica Lucas and I own Good Books Company. Uh, we are a bookkeeping firm. We take a, uh, a managerial accounting approach to bookkeeping. Uh, she, my wife is a 24-year corporate accountant. Um, I also am studied more in analytical parts, like e economics and things like that. So we take a really unique approach to all of our customers. Um, you can reach us at uh, goodbooksco.com. And what I love about Brian is that you, you've looked at some of my clients' numbers, and you, you, one of the first things you do is make sure that they're in the right place. Yep. And do they say the right thing? And I always love that because you never make anybody feel bad because a lot of people avoid their profit and loss. They, they don't look at their balance sheet, and they feel bad about that. Yep. And you and your wife take a great approach where my clients have said to me, wow, that was easy. I feel great. He said, I'm pretty good. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not bad and wrong. I'm like, yeah, that's Brian and his wife. That's how they take this approach. So, so thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it. Jeff. Uh, yeah. So I'm Jeff George. I'm the owner of Tau Financial and Tau Consulting. And uh, I, I joke with some friends, but I, I kind of think of myself as like a seeing eye dog for, for business owners and individuals. Um, you know, so we provide a holistic service that does business and financial planning. Um, that really focuses around the person. So how do we integrate a business's purpose and how it functions and a personal uh, goal and mission, you know, vision style uh, planning um, to say, well, look, this isn't just about money. This is about what you want in life and you have to decide what those things are and you have to decide how you're going to get there. And we just kind of help them understand what each choice does and how it works and how they get there, you know, in the way that they want to. So. Yeah, what I love about you is, what I've gotten to know you is that, you know, people have financial goals and financial plans, and a lot of times they're being sold by products, right? You're like, yeah. no, let's come up with a plan. You have plan A, plan B, plan C. Which one do you think is going to get you where you want to go? And it's like you give them the choice, whereas every person I've ever dealt with is like, Jim, I suggest you do this one thing. I'm like, you don't even know my goals, so I would suggest a second thing. And so I love that approach when you talk about the financial plans and goals of people. Yeah, and I'd actually say what I've done, so I apologize. I, yeah, so I, I'm just for background, um, I studied to be a CPA. I've worked in investment, as an investment banker in the past, um, as an institutional investment consultant, um, and I'm also a CFA charter holder. So um, I do try to take all of that and yeah, and Brian could talk about how he did mergers and acquisition. He has property management experience as well. So when he comes to talking about numbers, he knows a lot about a lot of industries and personal experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. Uh, Dan Elzer. I'm the president of the Training Academy. We are a training and consulting firm. Uh, we work with leadership. Um, people always say, what about leadership? And, and the quote I always use is, we help companies reduce organizational stress caused by poor leadership. They're good people that just lead poorly, uh, not bad people. Uh, we also work with people on the structure of their organization, and then we also will deal with sales as far as skills and techniques along with uh, the, the leadership within a sales organization. And if you would, uh, if you would I, I don't, uh, I want to do this justice, but you not only talk about skills, but also building habit. Yes. Right. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, it, it's all about habits. You know, I've got a quote that your habits are stronger than your knowledge. 
you know, if you give someone a test, they get 100% on it. You put a camera on them and, and secretly record them, and their behaviors are completely out of line with their knowledge. So causing change in people, and adults learn over time, repetition, and failure, getting people to go through that process to, to get the habits in line with their knowledge so their behaviors actually unconsciously make them money or make them, you know, give them success versus unconsciously cost them. And so it's all about that. And we also, you know, as Jim is well aware, uh, we do coaching of executives um, and uh, leadership teams uh, for organizations as well. And he is international. I mean, you've been around long enough that you've uh, been successful enough in getting results that's taking you around the world. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So thank you for being awesome. here. Appreciate thank that. You. I appreciate being it. here in Orlando, Florida with us. <laughs> thank you. Christy. My name is Christina Ruzzi. I am a um, loan officer. I am a branch manager and loan officer with Geneva Financial. I've got 11 years under my belt. And uh, I love teaching and guiding and sharing. So I've got um, a lot of information out there from YouTube uh, videos to uh, podcasts. Um, just love to, to teach and hold the hands of my clients uh, through one of their largest financial decisions of their life. And you have, you're known as Credit Christie, correct? And yep. one of the things I've learned about you over the years is that uh, cash is not king. Credit is king if you know how to use it. Yes. Right? Because I think so often these credit companies are saying, you need to get a high credit score. And this really is to get some more money, you know, get some more debt. And you're all about get people whole financially. And credit is just a piece of the puzzle. Okay. And you're so passionate about that, yeah. which is why you call yourself Credit Christie. Yeah. And I think it's more than just your typical getting good credit. It's about understanding how credit works for you and against you. Yes, so we can all finish well. It can cost you a lot of money and more than just, you know, in interest. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's jump in. I'm super, super excited you guys are here for today's talk. Uh, and and uh, let's just jump into uh, how this started and the questions that uh, came about from our audience. So, Brian, could you share with our audience what inflation is and why should we even be talking about this yeah thank you jim appreciate it yeah the conversation was definitely an interesting one and i'm glad that we had that um i think at the time we just found out the feds released the uh, data of how much quantitative easing that they have been doing over the last year and a half or so and um it was quite a monumental amount and so i remember showing you a uh, graph and I said, hey, you want to see something scary? And you're like, I love seeing something scary. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, the conversation definitely went very well. Um, but um, the inflation in itself is the general, as we see it, is the prices of goods and services on the rise. Um, it, you see it all across the board, um, across every sector of the economy. And um, and basically it affects that, but that's actually not an essence of what it is. Um, from the standpoint of inflation is actually the money being devalued. So we see it, it's kind of deceptive. We see it as prices going up, but what's really happening is the value of money is going down. Um, and that's it in a nutshell of what inflation is. Awesome. So let me ask, and anyone could uh, feel the question, anything I should say, anyone to add anything what uh, Brian just said? I mean, I've always heard that, you know, too much money chasing too few goods, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that came from stimulus as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, similarly in the capital markets, yep. too many, too much money chasing too many or too few assets. And they also um, pick winners and losers, which is always bad. You know, yeah. this time around, real estate was the recipient of stimulus and mm -hmm. drove interest rates to sub 3%. And we have this, you know, incredible uh, demand in housing, which is, I think, pushing some of those inflation numbers as well. 
So from y'all's experience, what, why should we, should we worry about inflation? Is inflation from the, the small business to the people who work for these small businesses, should they worry about inflation? Or is there something else that we should be looking at that's more realistic? Um, it is very important to look at inflation as a business owner because if you're not charging at least what the cost of inflation is going up, then you're losing money. Um, and thank you for the people that don't do it because it's nice for others who want to pay for those services. But the reality is, as a business owner, you are giving yourself a, um, a lowered amount of money for your goods and services that you perform if you don't keep up with prices. Awesome. Yep. So it's, it's extremely important, at least from a pricing standpoint, to understand because if you're not maintaining sustainable pricing, then, and especially now, we have such an issue with employment. Um, with finding good employees and, and paying for that labor, you know, the, the, especially the small business owner, because they don't necessarily have that size of the market that they can, they can have, you know, significant pricing power. So, you know, being sensitive to that, understanding what kind of pricing strategies make sense to keep your business sustainable, because otherwise you're going to have customers that maybe can't pay, but they still want that raise so that they can pay for all those other goods and services that, that are being passed on those rising costs. Yeah. So. And I think, especially in the, in the uh, service sector, you know, when you're talking about keeping you know, your, your input costs under control to know that you're charging enough to not lose money, service-based companies struggle with that because if they don't have a decent understanding of their own value, they'll start to lose a lot of value because they're like, well, this is what I've always charged, and they don't see around them you know, their energy costs going up, their travel costs going up, their food costs going up. So service businesses have to be very careful because they don't have that input cost to keep an eye on. They have a lot of output costs that just keep going up on them. Mm. Additionally, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, interest rates. Interest rates are going up on, on every, every interest rate that we are dealing with, interest rates are going up. So in my world, I work with mortgage interest rates, which we haven't been in the fives for years. So it feels really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And it's interesting when I have this conversation, they're like, well, some people say, well, I'll just wait for rates to go back down again. Good luck with that. When they say historic lows, we get hit with marketing terms all the time so often that we kind of get um, desensitized to some of the, the language that we use. And when you hear historic lows, which was what we heard pounded into us in marketing in, in 2020 and 21, it was literally the lowest mortgage interest rates had ever been in the history of mortgage interest rates. But now the Fed funds rate just went up last month. They're getting ready to uh, lift that again, another half a percent. And a lot of people don't understand that there's these different types of rates. And so mortgage rates aren't tied to the Fed funds rate. The Fed funds rate is the short term, really short term, basically an overnight rate of what um, banks borrow money from banks for. So that's going to drive up additional costs, but they're, they're, the Fed is raising it to try to reduce inflation. And then what is tied to the Fed funds rate is also the prime index rate. And prime index rate, we know it as um, the, the rate that APR on credit cards are tied to, um, on auto loans, on home equity lines. And we're anticipating an, an, an increase of six times over the next two years. So it had been three and a quarter for years now. It's now three and a half. You know, we're looking at it being well into the fives you know, by the end of next year. So everything's going to cost more. You know, there are literally millions of households that carry a credit card balance. There are a lot of businesses that carry business credit card balances. And if your interest rate on your credit cards are now going to go up, however much of that APR is going to drive up, it's you're, you've got more money going to interest, less money in your cash flow. So I think that's also going to be a big factor as well. 
I, you, you mentioned that you know the Fed was heavily involved in the 10-year bond, which the 30 and 15-year rates follow. And I just literally this morning did a webinar with a group of, of teams, large real estate teams, and I was telling them you know, to relax. And so we looked at the 10-year at one month, six months, and 12 months. And this, the curve is incredibly steep, mm -hmm. which is showing that quick rise in the rates. But then I showed them a 40-year chart. And the 40-year chart started at 14% and came down to three. And so when you look at the curve in 40 years, you're like, man, I love where this thing's going. You look at it in the short term, and it looks very, very scary. And I told them, I said, this is what you have to focus on. You know, we're in this for the long haul. And people that will come into the market for them as far as buying and selling after this adjustment will be okay with it. It's the people that missed it will be the ones that aren't okay with it. And if you don't understand markets that way, you hear the Fed talk about raising the, the interbank rate and people start to freak out about it. The and, sky is falling. Right, and it has absolutely nothing to do with That's those right. interest rates. So, so really getting to understand from a, from a business perspective, um, whatever, I always talk about key metrics. You know, what are the key management numbers that we should know, learn, and manage? And if you don't know them, then you could fall for some headlines and make bad decisions, and that's not good for you. Well, yeah. on the other side of that, though, so part of it is also that the Fed's going to be reducing its own balance sheet. So yes. that's more likely to impact longer-term rates than the Fed funds rate. Um, so they had been buying mortgages in the you know, $30, $40 billion a month, yep. you know, long-term treasuries, um, and larger quantities than that. So if anything, the, the balance sheet runoff and the and the the – decision to not reinvest those funds at those longer rates are going to be what drives rates higher from, from any actions being done by the Fed. And they've dumped them <laughs> yeah, well, quickly. Yeah, well, <laughs> if, they're, if they're doing what they said, they were done in, in March. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know we're seeing a, a, a whipsaw of that. Now, it's horrible what's happening in Ukraine, but we are a flight to quality, so we're getting some money mm -hmm. from other areas that are helping stabilize that, but that's going to go away. And at the end of the day, you're, you're going to see those things happen. But mm -hmm. You know, if you look back at 2020, I, I was watching in, in May, you know, they came out and started buying mortgage-backed securities, keep liquidity going. They bought down the 10-year bond. They put over $10 trillion in like three months into the market. That's half our GDP. Mm -hmm. and, and anyone that didn't realize we were going to have this problem really doesn't understand economics. You know, you can't put half the GDP into the marketplace and think it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. And that, with all that you guys have been talking about, um, you can see how different industries are affected differently depending on what your inputs are for that business. But, um, you know, the, the uh, CPI just came out, what was it, this week and said 8.5% yeah. inflation. But if you look across the board, I mean, gas is up 48%. Um, wow. Electricity is up 11%. Uh, meat and poultry and fish is up 13%. Milk is up 13%. Coffee, 11%. Used cars, 35%. Uh, airline tickets, 23%. I mean, these are just... It's not fair across the board, and it never will be. So CPI is kind of deceiving when you say 8.5%. Well, that's not too bad. So whatever cost me $100 last year now should cost me $108.50 this year, but that's not exactly the case. And every and also the um, factors, like you were saying, in Ukraine uh, with fertilizer shortages and things like that, um, they're, they're predicting some kind of crop um, um, uh, depletion in crops where you're not going to have as much and so all those things do affect pricing levels so so uh i guess my point is is inflation is part of it but also you know you got to look at the other factors that are happening to an economy as well well i wouldn't just add to that and how again how we came about this uh is that 
you and I were to- talking, and I'm not as sophisticated as you guys are, just so that our listeners know. Like, I'm like asking, what are they even talking about from a layman's perspective? But I understand it enough that I got to do something about it. And that's why we're doing this podcast, because if you're not educated by the right people and you're re- re-watching the right bylines, you could be not prepared. And I want my, my clients and our listeners to be prepared for what's coming down the line. And so Brian and I were talking, and I said, oh, Brian, so I, a lot of times I ask my client, how much do you want to grow this year? And a lot of them will say, I just want to break even. Right. Or if I'm lucky, I push them to 10 percent. But 10 percent five years ago, 10 years ago was real. It was was big. Now it's not enough, as you're saying. In fact, went so far as like I asked you, well, I don't get that. 10 percent is 10 percent. It's only 8 percent inflation. And then you use those numbers, gases, you know, through the roof. And if you have a logistics business or a lot of transportation, a lot of travel, you got to include that. And so my point is, if you're doing budgeting for your business and you go, oh, I'll go up 10 percent. That may not be enough for your business. Would you agree with that? Would you add anything to that, any of you all? I I totally agree. I think that, you know, the way I approach budgeting with my clients and with my companies is um, I start with expenses Mm -hmm. based on the realities that I can see in the future. And then I back into the revenues necessary to reach the return on capital that I want. And if I just say I'm going to grow my company 10 percent and again, and I'm and I'm a I'm a speaker consultant like I am. And you said 23 percent on flying. Mm -hmm. So I go up 10% and it costs me 23% for a third of my expenses for flying. I get to the end of the year and go, how come what I'm, happened? Yeah, what, 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 what the heck happened? So, you know, understanding those dynamics and, and you know, and this is, you know, in my world and, and you know, Jim and I discuss clients constantly about what we can do strategically, uh, but not having a good uh, understanding of those metrics of your business. Uh, one of the companies I'm working with, we showed them how they made small incremental changes in their metrics, and we gained them a 20% differential in transactions. So just moving these metrics, you could lose 20% of your transactional business and make the same money. And they were like, wow. I go, but now we have to look at what are the causes and cures behind those metrics to make sure that the behaviors change so you get there. And, and that's, you know, really getting deep with people. But those are the things I think that are going to be incredibly important over the next, you know, 18, 24 months. Well, and also just so we've seen, you know, consumer, depending on the industry, right, but, but um, consumer spending has been declining pretty consistently. We're seeing, um, especially with rising costs and maybe not the ability, especially with small businesses, to um, pass on those costs in the full extent that they would like to maintain their, their margins. Um, they may have to start looking at pivoting in terms of what the strategy is. So, you know, if you need to keep growing your business to maintain a profitability and to, and to stay competitive, you may have to look at how do we innovate or how do we expand what we're doing or do it, build a better mousetrap, so to speak, so that you're capturing a greater portion of the market share to become right. more profitable right. as opposed to expanding your margins because margin expansion is probably not going to be the best strategy for at least the foreseeable future. Exactly. I think where you went with interest rates, though, to the consumer is going to drive some of that consumer spending down, too, because they carry so much debt that all of a sudden too much of that cost goes to debt service instead of buying things that they were buying before. And they turn to technology all the time. I mean, look at Walmart. I think just recently I went to my local Walmart, and now there's hardly any cashier machines, and they're all the, you know, automated cashier machines where you go in and scan for yourself. And um, so, yeah, the market does adjust. And... um, it's interesting to see how even the supply of labor and the cost of labor that's going up uh, around how it'll affect everything. And you're 100% correct. If you're not if you're not looking at your numbers on a consistent basis, you're going to be behind. If you especially now, right now with all the changes that are happening within the economy, inflation, and everything, if you're not looking at your KPIs, your key performance indicators, 
on a on a regular monthly basis, uh, maybe see what you did last month. You're you're going to be in trouble. That's um, catch and just on a thought on that, so for those that so first of all, I've had a chance to talk with Brian about what he does and works with clients, and and it's it's very consultative, and I, I really love your approach. Um, for somebody who can't necessarily hire somebody right now, one really good way to do it is is so building out a common size balance sheet or common size income statement is is a kind of a quick and dirty way for a business owner to track how their balance how their their financials are actually changing over time because you're you're stating in a, a percentage of sales as a percentage of assets. And so if you're looking at that month over month over month, if you're if you're if you have a single line item that's starting to really eat into your profit, you're going to notice that very quickly that way um, versus, you know, trying to figure out looking just at the raw numbers. Yep. Yep. So we're going to dominate. So I'm going to shut up. So I know you have to have something in your mind. Well, I just, I just know uh, um, a lot of people are very fearful of a recession. You know, you're, we're hearing it. And I, I think that that is a driver on on spending and, you know, different decisions. I know um, a lot of people are looking to jump ship. They've been with um, a company for a lot of years and they're still earning 15 or $18 an hour, but yet they could go and get this job with a new company that has to start paying at 18 to $20 in order to attract the right kind of uh, help. So um, it's just it's just interesting to me the, um, the perspective that I'm hearing from my clients and my colleagues because I just think that there's this um, murmur of fear that we're starting to um, really see as a reality because we are feeling it already. You know, you, you say that I was just in Vegas uh, speaking at a conference and uh, my driver heading me to the win, we went past the McDonald's on the, on the uh, strip. And the marquee said? And it said $25 <laughs> an hour and $5,000 signing bonus. So they're going to pay you $52,000 and give you a $5,000 signing bonus to work at McDonald's. So I had an owner... Um, session with a bunch of owners and i said that and jokingly when i said what it said three of them got up and headed out the back door like they were going to go apply because <laughs> <laughs> they're like you know this is not a bad thing to do yeah, yeah. so let's talk about the future uh so I, I have two questions in my mind i'm not sure which one i want to ask first so so again we want to be able to educate our listeners and what they should be looking out for so again there's a lot of messages out there the sky is falling you got to worry get in now kind of thing real estate's hot get in now or you're going to lose out which you hear that all the time. What should I be measuring towards the future? And is there anything else I should be looking out for or uh, as metrics? And I'll start with you, Brian. Yeah, I think um, from an economic standpoint, you need to look at for something to carry your money forward into the future that won't be um, losing money. So mattress money. If you put your money in the mattress, you're losing money because it, it just isn't getting any interest, right? But um, a lot of people will buy things um, like machinery and things like that or a house or let's say it's, it's a good time to go ahead and buy that uh, rental house that you want because then that will keep your money in a good place where it will um, appreciate. And um, so it's a good time to buy machinery and things like that that will be worth money in the future that will carry over and, and pay dividends. I don't know what that looks like for as a general because it's specific to every industry and what you use and what you do. Um, but um, but really, if you have some kind of instrument, some kind of tool to put your money into, that would help carry uh, that future value. That that's really a smart move to do. Awesome, Jeff. Would you add anything to that? Yeah. Uh, so to a certain degree, I'll echo it with a with a caveat. Um, so I, I completely agree that, especially when you look at the capital markets, we've seen. I was, I was talking with a client just yesterday that they were investing in Berkshire Hathaway. Um, since 2014, Berkshire Hathaway has tripled. So seven years, you've tripled your money. That's that's an uncommon return. Yeah. 
Um, and we're looking at things like that happening all across the asset spectrum, you know, real estate. Um, and so where do you find sustainable growth from this point forward at a level that could beat inflation? And, and the reality is one of your best bets if you have a sustainable business is your business. Um, with the caveat that uh, you need to bulletproof your business and make sure that you're not getting into a position where you're going to deal with the liquidity crunch in the future if demand declines. Um, so I would say one of the biggest metrics to look at is, is how much cash do you have to cover your expenses? Are you able to get through a period of, of you know, tough times where maybe demand is going to decline for a period? Um, because it, so, so I agree with you. If you have assets that you can produce or that you can buy that are going to produce a value for your business, um, depending on how recession sensitive it is, yeah. Um, then yeah, that would be a great investment better than sitting on cash, but make sure you have enough cash that, that buying that doesn't ultimately put you out of business. Let me, let me follow up um, question because you just said something important. So the question that's come to my mind. So again, taking the last 20 years of being in business and statements that people say you should do this and you should do this, get in now, whatever that may be. My, my question that comes to my mind is like, okay, as a business owner, or someone who runs a business, should I be buying equipment now or should I be saving my money? Should I be lowering my debt now or should I be doing what? What should I be doing now? Because I can see people when PPP loans came out and EIDL loans came out, they got the money and they did what they did with it. And now we're going into this, this, this new season and that money's gone, right? And who knows what they have in savings? And so I, I just think there's... I want, uh, if there's any words of wisdom, Dan, we'll go to you first. Well, to that point, uh, you, know, you take, you know, the PPPs, if they were forgiven, that's great. Uh, the economic disaster loans are a fixed rate, you know, so back to rising costs. If you're in a fixed rate environment, you got a three and a half or whatever they came out at, you know, that's money, in my opinion, that you hold. You know, you don't attack that loan. You attack the loans that are, that have a margin on them that are going to move. Uh, I think... I think in inflationary times and, and in a market that's in a rotation, to eliminate debt is smart. That is not guaranteed at a rate. Um, I think having reserves is smart. Um, but since that was all talked about, I'm going to talk about also, you know, as, as businesses, we do business with people, whether it's the consumer or other companies. I think you have to look at their balance sheet, you know, hypothetically and where they're going. Because you can have a lot of what ifs in your world that are completely wrong. And so not only getting your house in order, but when you, when you start to project, you know, where life is going, you know, who are your clients? Where are they? What, what, what kind of pressures are they under in their industry? Because if you are selling to an industry that has been just growing and going and it's not in favor anymore, you might make some moves or make some decisions that will be difficult to unwind because all of a sudden you don't have the revenue or the cash flow that you thought you were going to have. Mm -hmm. So I always like to also, you know, part of our uh, business planning is looking out at the economy and our clients and who's going to, you know, we know from history who stops spending money in our industry and when they stop spending it. So we're looking for where is that moment in time and then starting to work on what are the diversifications we can do to start to offset some of that revenue down the road. So it, so it doesn't happen to us and we're like, oh God, where we are making those moves before we get there. Let me add, I would emphasize what I love what you just said. So we're talking about, again, preparing for the future so that our listeners are ready when that happens. 
And we start off by talking about looking at your, your own business and your own books and your own numbers and your own situation. But what you just said was pretty profound is let's look at our client list. Let's look at our clients. You know, I have clients in seven states now, right, from tutoring companies to property management companies to uh, ad agencies, right? And I have to ask myself, my ad agency client, how is this going to affect his business? And I need, as a coach, be ready to coach him and say, hey, Frank, your, your clients are in the auto industry. Do you know the, how they're doing? And then the tutoring business, they're dealing with families, right? And money could get tight down the road. So tutoring might go to the wayside. So looking at our own clients and how this is going to impact them, and that's going to impact us. So, so I love that, that, that aspect of it. Christy, anything to add to the discussion? Yes, kind of right on the tail of that right there, um, relationships. Um, if we could just really focus on those relationships because we do business with people, um, even though that person is the business. And I think more than ever, we have to really have some strategic partnerships and say, listen, no matter what happens, I'm in it for the long run with you. How can I serve your business best? How can I help you? And to your point, the tutoring could be uh, looked at as a luxury item. And if we're going to start tightening up our books, what are the luxury items that we can get rid of so that we can stay afloat and um, cash flow better without having to keep raising our costs and those kinds of things? So if I'm the tutoring business, I have to do a really great job of making sure my clients see the value and the benefits of continuing this. It, we, we have to be um, really a pioneer for our own business saying, this is the value I bring to you and we need to continue this because of the ultimate outcome. So that way we're not on that chopping block list. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I truly believe that, you know, when, when we serve our clients right and well, they want to do business with us as opposed to a big giant corporation, even if we're not the cheapest, um, because that relationship could sustain long term. Uh, that could be beneficial both sides. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, that was great. That's that awesome. Was, I totally agree. And, and <laughs> so, th yeah, definitely. Um, I just want to make a point on on liquidity, just to kind of go back to Dan's point real quick, which was um, so paying down the the you know. Floating debt or revolving debt, you know, prime prime debt yes. to the extent that you can is great, um, but liquidity is extremely important. And so even even maintain you don't want to close that debt uh, because one thing that we saw back in 2020 and we see it every time a major recession hits is uh, right when businesses need that cash the most, mm -hmm. the banks stop offering it. Right. Credit risk will go very quickly. Say that rise. again, because banks loan money when you don't need it. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> when you need it, they're like, oh yeah, you're a risk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I was a mortgage loan officer in 2003 to 2008. And what happened in seven to eight. Right. So I shifted into a short sale negotiator because no underwriters approving mortgages in the state of Florida. Mortgage insurance companies were like not insuring in the state of Florida. Everybody just was very, very fearful. And um, I just I remember so many people that really tapped into credit cards and home equity lines to help them float through the month. And the next thing you know, you're getting a notification from Capital One or from your bank that holds your home equity line. And they're like, we've just either reduced or closed that credit line. So we can't always count on the things that we think are there, even though they are right now, that does not guarantee they will be tomorrow. So to y'all's point saying, make sure you have reserves 100%. Liquidity, yes. And it we, uh, we might only 
might even have to go a step further and prove to our banking relationships and financing relationships that we're not a threat. Look, I've got money over here to sustain for six months or 12 months or whatever the case is, um, but I do rely on this just to get me through the net 30. So, um, you know, I am a good candidate and I will pay my bills. Sometimes we have to be an advocate for ourselves that way. Um, To that point, I had a building company from 2002 to 2014. at that crisis point, uh, Jim's heard this story before. Uh, we're in subdivisions. We've got huge lines, and we've always paid our bills. We've always paid our subs. We're, we're liquid. And uh, I went into, I won't say the bank, I went in with files for new builds. Uh, one was cash. The person was willing to put the cash in the bank, uh, but they didn't want to use their cash to build, so we were building on our line. And I remember I sat in the conference room, and the guy that I worked with was sitting there, and he's just kind of looking at me, not saying anything. I said, what's up, Jim? And he goes, and three other guys come in and sit down. Yeah. And I go, what's up? And they go, uh, our bank has determined we will no longer lend in the construction industry. And I go, what do you mean? Well, we've frozen. You don't have to pay us back right now. You can pay us back on terms, but we're not going to extend anymore. And I said, I've got people that just signed contracts. I said, so we can do these? And they go, absolutely not. And I built those on my money, and then you know the world came to an end. But um, you know it was, you know, regardless to your point, regardless of how clean we were and how liquid we were, um, when they make decisions, they make decisions, and uh, you know, and the chips fall. And it can be final. And it can be final, and were- it can be ugly. And yes, that was a that was a. I always say my best friend back then was tenacity because that's what got me through that. So. Sorry that happened. <laughs> there were literally millions of credit cards that were either reduced or closed just at the start of 2020 and um, at the start of the uh, COVID in March, March and April. And I didn't see the headline anywhere. Um, I was listening to one of my financial gurus I follow on his podcast, and he had just kind of like just mentioned it. I thought, wow, this is this is a big deal. Um, it messes with your debt to income ratio. It messes with your um, u- debt utilization, your credit score, and it, it, it can mess with your ability to function if you're counting on having that as a safety net. And um, it was just surprising to me that it wasn't a, a bigger story. Um, and that was just, again, fear-based, right, of what could happen in the pandemic. And then now if we're the rumblings of a recession and these inflation numbers that, I mean, I think the Fed wants it somewhere between like two and a, two and two and a half percent is their goal, hey, right? I don't Volcker, know how. <laughs> you want to get scared, go back and read Volcker yep. uh, in the 80s where he said, if you're going to kill inflation when it's a runaway, you have to get the Fed rate to the inflation rate. Yep, Taylor rule. That was Volcker Ooh. back in the 80s, and I lived through that. <clears throat> so, um, Okay, so the last time they started messing with the Fed funds rate, they changed it nine times in three years. Yes. What's your prediction then of what happens now if we're at 8.5% right now and climbing? I, I am fearful that um, Powell, Chairman Powell is going to have to make a very big statement. I mean, they said a half. It's baked in now. They'll probably do the half. But I have a feeling they're going to have some uh, mid-meeting increases. I think we're going to go back to that environment. Because I, I think he believes, just listening to his press conferences and reading the minutes and stuff, I, I think he believes that psychologically he can get there. Um, but, you know, you start having these people come out of the woodwork from the old days going, this is what it took. Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a balance. So if, if I had to say, I think they'd want to get the Fed funds rate to about four. Okay. 
That's my guess. And I think they're going to do it either with mid, mid-meeting pops or, or come at us with a big chunk. Uh, the only thing I think that would stop that is if behaviors because of inflation mm-hmm. contribute to helping inflation go down. But I still think there's a lot of cash out there. I mean, you're in the, you're in the investment world. There is so much flush cash out there. And I don't care how hard the, the Fed tries to pull it off the table. There are people sitting on a lot of money. You know, I, I've worked with a venture capital company, and they, they're raising, you know, $100 million funds like, you know, like it's nothing. So there's so much cash out there, and I think that's going to keep pushing that inflationary stuff, so the Fed's going to have to do something. Yeah, they have to withdraw liquidity. And, and, and I don't think they got their hands on all the liquidity that's out there, though. I think oh, that's no. where their problem is. Yeah. It's just well, too yeah. Much I mean, yeah, yeah. Especially private equity, venture right. capital. I mean, they've yep. been they, for for years. They've been able to borrow. And they've leveraged corporate it and corporate mm-hmm. lending rates. Not even you know asset based lending rates. Exactly. So you know we might be looking at one two percent on you know hundred million dollars, couple hundred million dollars. Yeah. I mean, what do you do with that? They can't stop them at this point. Um, which that's actually part of why you, you know, I'd be curious to get y'all's <laughs> opinion on the the real estate side, but. Um, from what I've seen, a lot of the buyers are actually institutional buyers coming in and right. buying houses, mm-hmm. buying real estate in Florida and other states, which that completely changes the dynamic of, of how the economy, like in the real estate market here, operates. Which goes back to the liquidity that's out there that they were able to raise in the private market to come out and do those things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then you throw on top of it the demand curve. You know, we, we overbuilt in 04, 05, 06, way overbuilt, and then we stopped building, and now we're behind the, the, you know, the demand curve. So... I think, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, is real estate going to have, is it a bubble? I go, it can't be a bubble. I said it might settle. I said, but it can't be a bubble because we have too many people that need a home that don't have one. So they got to find a way. Now, maybe prices moderate some or whatever, but they got to find a way or institutional people come in and buy them and then rent them to them. But there's going to be transactions. There's going to be building. Um, So I don't think that's going to be an ugly thing. Plus, the banks are healthier, more liquid. People are better off. But as far as when we talk about these big things, I think, you know, back to the point of our viewers, which are mostly small business owners, it is these big headlines that can affect small businesses when it's not really affecting them. And I think that's the other reason why you've got to know your own numbers and your own markets, because just because CNBC wants to parade what's terrible happening and a big default here or whatever, you know, your behaviors have to be embedded in your own marketplace, mm-hmm. your, own, your own numbers, your own customers and make sure that you're making those decisions, whether it's great news or bad news. Yeah. And I think that's critical. Yeah, so your numbers should dictate exactly what you should be doing right now. Exactly. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So a question I have is uh, for our uh, listeners, what, if, if, what do you think we need to be thinking about down the road? So given the next nine months, maybe you know, 12 months, what, what would your advice or guidance be for our listeners and what they should be doing? For example, for me, I would want the people I work with to start accelerating their sales, accelerating their revenue, growing, right? Yeah. So that, that if whatever happens down the road, they can coast through it, go through it, survive through it. But a lot of times people are saying, I just want to break even or I just want to maintain. And I don't think this is the time to maintain. If you're not getting momentum, yeah. you're going to be in trouble. So my advice to my clients right now, second quarter especially, tax season, right, mm-hmm. is let's get, the, let's get the revenue going. Let's get the sales going. Maybe go after uh, a target market that has more capacity that's not affected so much by this, these, these times so that if anything happens or when it happens, you can survive. Mm-hmm. But if you don't start now, when it happens, you're not going to be ready. And I just don't want to see that happen. So uh, I'll start from ladies first this time. Uh, What do you think in the future, from your perspective, people should be thinking about doing uh, in the next 9 to 12 months? Um, 
I would say, because I'm saying this to myself right now and my coach, um, really focus on your unique value proposition, what separates you from anybody else in the marketplace and lead with that. I think it's an excellent opportunity to really sharpen and hone in on your skills. So if there is something that could really be a differentiator and, and elevate you, um, spend some extra time and, and be there with that. Uh, because I think mediocre is no, is not going to survive. And so to be the best in your industry or in your category of your industry, um, just, just separating yourself from everybody else. I know as a loan officer for the last, you know, three years, it's been gravy. You just had to have, like, you just had to have a phone that rang, right? You have to have an email address and you made great money. And now in, in this very competitive market, what helps my clients get to a contract because personally I've never had a bigger pipeline than what I have right now and it, it, it doesn't even matter if I can't get them a contract right it's it, the only way that I get paid is if I close and I know most business owners the only way that you get paid is if you have a closed transaction and so what is it that can separate you from anybody else and then just really shine there spend your time there um, and and really truly show appreciation for the people and the relationships that you value um, so that they're not um, being taunted or, um, you know, trying to be attracted by somebody else so that that relationship stays. Because I know for, for some businesses, if you lose your number one client, it could cripple your business. Yeah. Yeah. And then really empower your people, you know, to, to shine and be part of the bigger vision, right? Dreams don't, don't really happen. Visions get accomplished. It's the vision that we're after. Love it. Dan? Um, I love what you just shared. And so I'm going to kind of go a little different. Um, I think three things that came to mind after listening to you speakers is one is start to pay yourself. And what I mean by that is pay your company. Uh, it's something I always do. Uh, my CFO knows that we pay into our reserves as if it was a bill. And start to pay yourself and start to build that reserve, number one. Number two, um, do a mental check every morning. Because if things, if you read the wrong headlines, you can lose business by just not having the right mindset or the right attitude. Yes. So check yourself before you go out there. And last is, you know, I believe that people out there in this time, regardless of your industry, are looking for trusted advisors. So kind of piggybacking on the relationship side. But if you can, if you can have your attitude checked and you can be paying yourself, and you go out there and become the advisor that they need, yeah. you'll continue to do business. If you don't have the right attitude and they're struggling and they see you struggling, then they're going to think this isn't the place to be. I need to find somebody else. Powerful. Very true. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll just echo the surplus comment. So there's no point <laughs> in repeating it. Um, so I, I would say another thing that would be helpful would be kind of echoing, but just I guess with a little bit of different perspective is, is embrace you know, a, a constant mindset of growth. Um, yeah. You know, so I kind of visualize it as, as like a plane, you know, so it, a plane doesn't stay in the air by keeping the wings flat, right? The plane has lift and that lift is what keeps the plane in the air. So, so that, that there's constant friction when you're running a business, some customers are going to stay, some customers are going to leave. And if you think that you can coast, you're going to actually drift closer and closer to the ground. So, you know, embracing that mindset of constantly having a, a force of lift within your business that keeps you afloat and keeps you moving forward, you know, is necessity. It's, it's not just a luxury. Um, I like that. I like what Jim said with the momentum. You really got to build momentum going into this because you're in an uphill battle. You need that momentum to get up there. And, um, 
you know, uh, and also to, to get there, I would say planning is another thing. And what, what's the saying out there? An ounce of planning is worth a pound of results. Ounce I don't know. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Something like that. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but planning and just, you know, doing SWOT analysis, figuring out, you know, maybe even if you have a diverse group of customers or clientele, to figure out what each one, you know, SWOT analysis would be just to kind of help watch out for them. I know that's, um, as Christy was saying, you know, hers was kind of geared toward her. That's kind of geared toward my business. I have different uh, industries within my business, and um, a SWOT analysis on each one would definitely help each each person. And um, just continually look at it and just, you know, roll with momentum. So. Not everybody knows what a SWOT analysis is. So it's, it's a, a, a cross, right? Yes. And it's a section where you list out your strengths, Weaknesses, weakness. opportunities, and threats. Correct. And that could be internal yep. in your inside of your business, and it could be external. So sometimes you do two different SWOT analysis. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good, good point. Well, let me piggyback off. I think so. Uh, uh, Christy and, and 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 Dan approached this. We're talking. We haven't talked about employees. Right? We're talking about business owners, managers of these businesses who look at the numbers. Sometimes the employees don't see the numbers. Uh, what should leaders be doing to encourage and inspire their own teams, their own team members, their, their employees, partners, if you will, to stay positive, right? It's one thing that Dan said, having the owner be a good mindset, and you said relationships. What can we be doing? What should we as leaders be talking to or telling our, our teams? I'll, I'll jump in there because I was running three companies at that time, and I do a lot of leadership work, and I always talk about a leader needs to be about as rock solid as you can be. You can't have too high a high, you can't have too low of a low. If you come in excited, people are like, what's going on? If you come in down, they're like, what happened? I said, so it's kind of like a good parent. I can count on what you're gonna be coming through the door. What gets hard when the market's in rotation. And so if you come through the door, not that rock, then you're gonna have results shown in your people. And um, you know, I pride myself on, on that constantly. And I have a chief operating officer who Jim knows and it was at the depth of, of um, you know, everything falling apart. Uh, you know, I'd been in the real estate business for 30 some years and I'm like, okay, we had the first leg down. I've been through this before. I doubled down and bought more land in more subdivisions and the second leg came down and I'm like, oh my God. So it was a struggle. I, I, I tell the story uh, on stage that I would wake up in the morning and stand in my kitchen and envy my cat sitting on the window ledge looking out the window. Going, God, I'd prefer to be her. Um, but I knew I had to walk in the door and have that, that mindset. Well, one day I came in and I took a breath and I just started down the wrong path. And one of my employees said, shut up. And I was like, what? They go, you're not allowed to go there. The only reason I get up and come in every day is because you don't go there. Mm. It was one of the best lessons. You know, it was within my principles, but I, I just couldn't stay there anymore. I started to crack and they were quick to go, you're not allowed. You know, I get up and come in every day because you're the guy you are. So I, I, I would offer that to anybody. You know, that's what I mean by checking yourself. If you come in the door every day and you're not too excited, you're not too down and you just go to work, people will follow. Mm -hmm. And it's whenever you're in those, those big swings that you start to scare people. I think for me, too, developing, uh, developing your employees is another great thing. I mean, yeah. if you're just going in and out the mundane of life and work um you're, you're not you know pushing your employees to be better you're not mentoring them and you are at a position uh, as an owner to do that to your employees to, to push them to mentor them to 
to help them grow. I mean, you, you almost want to make it to such a point, and again, you know, piggybacking off what you said, is to be such a mentor in such a way that they don't want to lose you, right. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, they, if they're like, man, I, I could go this place, but I can't leave Dan, you know? <laughs> Dan's That's given me so much more than anybody else. I mean, that right there, they will work harder for you. They will do so much more for you just, just to help, just, just get not only your approval, but just the, the satisfaction of, of doing a good it. job for you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I love that. I mean, that, that, yeah. that pushing people yeah. is, I think, huge. Uh, I, it gives them value. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, so, that, so, first of all, yes, 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 yes. I love it. That's, all, that's super cool. Um, from, so just from like a, mon- a money standpoint, um, purely is, is so uplifting, pushing your employees to grow. All those things are great. Um, I do see a lot of owners that that they get caught in a status quo, and you know I think that that to survive something like this, you have to adopt a certain amount of humility and recognizing mm-hmm. the role that your employees play in your success. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the businesses that I think are going to thrive through whatever happens from this point forward. And I think that that being open minded and finding a way to strike a certain amount of balance or harmony between you know pushing your employees for growth, but also rewarding them for that growth and recognizing that. If you structure incentives right, they will help you grow your company for you as long as you're willing to, to make it transparent to them that they get a piece of what comes next. Um, and, and I think that that's a, a critical difference between a, a growth mindset that incentivizes employees and gets them on board versus a growth mindset that kills morale. Mm. Love it. I agree 100%. A lot of people don't need to go to work to have purpose. I think business owners (laughs) usually show up because this is, you know, our work is like our purpose, but our employees, it's not usually like that. It's like they're coming for a paycheck, being part of something and then living their life outside of those 40 hours that they're with you. Um, I, for me personally, sharing a bigger part of the vision as far as like our impact, because I get to experience that right as, as the, the helm of, of it. But the people that are working in the background don't always get to see those results. So being able to share um, how appreciative somebody was, um, the result of what we were able to deliver, and sharing that story and, and just taking a moment to say, this is the impact that your work has had in somebody else's life or somebody else's business, I think goes so far because it's not necessarily purpose, but there's meaning in our work. And we all want to do something meaningful. And like I, I have skills that can contribute to a, a bigger good. And being able to hear my part in that helps keep me going. And I, I think sometimes we fail to recognize how important that is for our staff to hear that and to realize that I, that could not have happened. That result would not be there if it weren't for you. Yeah, I love that. So one of the things I'm suggesting to my clients now when it gets difficult is bring back those, those testimonials from our customers. Right? We were working with a contractor, and I said to him, one of our clients is doing going the extra mile. He goes, well, we're in construction. We use you know, rulers. How about going the extra yard? I said, that's great. And so they had once a month going the extra yard awards. Hey. So if you went the extra yard for our clients, you got an award for it. You got recognized for that. At the same time, you know, the impact, talking about the tutoring company, you know, they're enriching kids' lives so they have choices in the future, go to college and get better careers. And I said, when's the last time we talked about the successes we're having with their parents and with our students? And we, if we haven't, we need to bring those into our meetings to remind us why we get up every day because sometimes it's just a job, but it can be more than a job if we do that. And so I, I think it's spot on. Love it. Spot on. 
Even just thinking about your tutoring company, I like I had to get a tutor in fifth grade, and it was like humiliating to have a, a, a tutor. But I remembered like when when that that I, I remember her name and everything. I remember when she helped me get past my barriers of what I was struggling with. My self confidence and self esteem changed so much. I feel like I was a different student, but I was a, a different person. So it's so much more than even just college. You know what I mean? So like it, when when they get to hear that kind of an impact, right? Yeah, yeah. it's huge. That's huge. One last thing I want to talk about the employees and your team members. I think it's something you were saying, Brian, that triggered my brain. And a lot of my clients are looking at their compensation uh, packages right now and their benefits packages. Mm-hmm. So two of our very successful clients are looking at this. I'm thinking, I, I didn't think anything about it, but like the expenses are going up and they're thinking about giving more benefits. And I think one of the things of getting momentum is getting your team on board and appreciating your team verbally, physically, financially, mm-hmm. the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. So I just think that probably could be a whole episode in itself is, you know, what kind of benefits, financial, non-financial rewards that can you give to people? Because again, if we're going to get momentum, we're going to grow, your team needs to be a part of that. And how do you enroll that in that possibility? Awesome. Well, as we finish up, a couple last questions I like to ask is, what's one thing that you feel that you should share with our audience that you didn't get a chance to talk about? It could be Anything that you prepared for today's podcast that you want to make sure you get that message across? It doesn't have to flow within the kind of questions we've had today. But is there any last things, that, words of wisdom that you would tell your own clients, your own family, or our listeners that they should know? Well, uh, I think for me, the one thing I've kind of prepared for is um, with inflation, it's a matter of supply and demand. When there's a lot of money out on the market, then it's not as valuable as it was. And on a fundamental level, that's exactly what's happening with um, with that. So the one thing to look at is um, how much quantitative easing that's happening. I know we kind of touched on it, but um, it's just a simple economics 101, you know, supply and demand. When there's so much money out there, um, it's not as valuable. And when, there is, when there's less money, it's more valuable. And the, the dollar goes further, it buys more. And um, it's important to take that distinction and understand what is actually happening because it looks like the prices of everything is going up when indeed that's not what's happening. Uh, it doesn't cost more to produce this good or this service. It's, it, what has actually happened is the money doesn't go as far as it used to. And um, I, 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 that's a good note for me, I think, because uh, it's, uh, it's very important. Jeff? Um, I would say just... I love the check your check your your head at the door kind of thing, but but I think I think you know checking your headspace is really important because you know we're we're this whole I want to say almost like the last five years have been we've moved like so far away from kind of a stable place like you know even as a country and and this isn't this is just in general like that that it's we're we're so we're dealing with so many abstractions we're you know we've got NFTs blowing up we've got. You know, meme stocks. We've got people. We've got the great, the great uh, resignation. We've got. You know, there's just there's so many disruptive forces that we're seeing happen all at the same time. And I think that, you know, it, it can be so overwhelming, especially for someone who's a small business owner trying to figure out how to make sense of all these different forces hitting them from all different sides. And you know, you have to find a way to stay grounded, especially when you're making key decisions, because it, that's the perfect. I mean, it's the perfect storm, the perfect environment to make an irrational choice. And, you know, some of those irrational choices are lasting choices and they have major consequences. And if you're not in that right headspace, find it before you make that choice. Um, so totally agree. Um, I, the only other thing I would share, and, and you're well aware of this, Jim, is I, I have a laminated card. 
uh, from a leadership perspective. And on it are my principles that I operate from. And, and all my clients get a card that has other things on the other side about leadership, but the back side is for your principles. And that's where I make decisions from. And I think um, it's easy to make a decision going where you were just going. It's easy to make a decision that's irrational or based on an emotion or something that you wish you wouldn't have. So I have these set of principles that I go to, and it doesn't make the decision easier. It makes it harder, but it makes it consistent. And, um, you know, I, I, the one I'll share from based on, on what you just said is one of mine is always decide from a position of strength. And I go, so every decision I make is based on the sales board's full, all my clients are happy, the bank account's overflowing, what would my decision be? And that's the right decision. And so I would say, get your principles in line, get them written, don't put them in your head, put them on paper, mm -hmm. and look at them often so you're very consistent. I have two things, may I? Yes, please. Awesome. First thing <laughs> is, um, because I'm credit Christy, budget, a lot of businesses that I've helped don't follow a budget they may create a balance sheet and that's a snapshot of what happened last month but um we need to we need to follow a budget so there's really simple budgets out there if you're not following a budget it will make a difference households that follow a budget uh, tend to spend 14 percent less annually so what could that be in a business atmosphere um and then the second point i wanted to uh to add is um to always be in a space of gratitude and abundance because just like you were saying in that, that mindset, um, if, if we start making decisions um, out of fear, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. One more thought. See, I said it. It was two. I lied. Um, last thought is a lot of larger businesses have a board of directors. And small businesses don't have mentors or directors. So if that is you and you don't have that, consider creating a personal board of directors. Um, maybe three people that you trust that have good financial or business sense um, that have failed and succeeded because you need to see both sides of the coin and that rigid edge um, and, and who are in it for you to, um, to radically succeed um, that have your back but won't let you off easy, you know? So um, that, that's, that's the last thing I want to say. And then I would just add uh, is, is when things get tough, uh, or even when they're good, remember your purpose and passion on the planet. Like, do a check, like you said, mindset. What's, why am I doing what I'm doing? To make a difference in the world. And what is your vision and mission? And how do you get that out to the rest of the world? And the second thing is getting support. Like, Lone Ranger did not do it by himself. He had Tonto and Silver, so he didn't do it by himself. And I think so often we think we need to do it on our own, and I don't know of anybody who's ever, ever become successful on their own. No one. They've always had some type of support. Um, so talking about support, how can uh, people reach you all, just in case they want your support? Uh, so Christy, if you would tell us if people wanted to reach out to you, who you are, how they can find you. Excellent. So my name is Christy Naruzzi. I'm also known as Credit Christy. And on social media, um, it's at Credit Christy. I've got a TikTok channel, YouTube, Instagram, name it. I'm there. I have a podcast for uh, credit coaching. Credit's not really taught. Um, it's really on the personal side of credit, not business side, but it's Credit Coaching by Christy. And um, find me. And it's Christy with a K. Yep, Christy with a K. Dan. Um, I don't have a TikTok, <laughs> but I do uh, have an email address and hey. a website. No, um, Dan at danelzer.com if you want to email me or go to danelzer.com and you'll, you'll see some stuff on me. But either, either of those will get you to us and we'd be more than happy to chat with you. 
I feel like I should have more social media tags, but I don't. I'm working on it, so that's that's a stretch goal. For Nobody me this said year. you had to. <laughs> um, so my email is Jeff at tao ficom and my website is Tao Financial USA. And yeah, we'll talk to people that need it. Thanks. And my name is Brian Lucas, and I'm part owner of Good Books Company. My wife and I uh, own the company, and uh, our web address is www.goodbooks. That's plural. Uh, co.com that's goodbooksco.com awesome. or you can email me at blucas at goodbooksco.com well i can't thank you enough uh, for being on our episode today uh, you were hand selected because how you care about your clients how you approach things i don't i don't know any of you are salespeople. you always are about building relationships when someone's ready to buy they know like and trust you and that's why i picked you all so thank you so much for being here today and serving our community and helping out our uh, our listeners so thank you all again for being here appreciate it thanks thank so much, you, jim roman us. thanks thank you <laughs>